Welcome to Tales She Told Me, a podcast featuring honest conversation about what it means to be a woman, a mother, and in business. I'm your host, Farah Haydar. Today, we will be discussing empathy, and joining me is Dr. Kristen Donnelly. Dr. Kristen Donnelly is an award-winning four-time TEDx speaker, international empathy educator, and researcher with two decades of experience in helping people understand the beauty and difference and the power of inclusivity. She is one of the good doctors of Abbey Research, CEO of their parent company, co-founder of the Community Research Institute, and an unapologetic nerd for stories of change. Kristen lives outside of Philadelphia with her husband, where they are surrounded by piles of books and several video game consoles. Kristen, that's a lot. Thank you for being here. Uh, (laughs) You're very well. Thank you. I'm so excited to delve into this topic with you further. You know, empathy, first, it can be taken in so many ways, but I just feel it's a very hot topic these days. And so before we get started, I was really curious as how you got involved in this topic. Like what drew you to it? That's an excellent question with a not super succinct answer. So I'm going to give it a go. I am raised in a family business, which is a huge part of my story. Uh, We were, we've been a small business family since I was seven. And we are also on a mission. We believe we are on the planet to help other people. I was raised in a family that was that very much believed that from our faith perspective, but also a very pragmatic perspective. You know, we were born on third base. How do we help other people get a hit in, in baseball parlance? And so intentionally, my father created a business model where we could always have somebody an employee. It's a, it's a manufacturing firm always have somebody who had no quote unquote qualifications. So all you had to do to work was show up sober every day and on time, and we could teach you everything else. And so that means in the span of the 32 ish years that we've owned this business, we've met a lot of different kinds of people and a lot of people that are quote unquote, traditionally unemployable. And I was constantly shown that they are not unemployable if you treat them like human beings. Um, And then you mix that with the fact that I was a youth worker for a really long time. And I will tell you, if you ever want to understand how little you know about other people, get to know teenagers because they will tell you all of the tea of their homes. Mm -hmm. Um, And then I was, and then I became a, a qualified social worker. I was um, in youth work for a long, long time, um, as I said, both secular and and faith-based youth work around the world in multiple countries. Uh, And my PhD is in sociology. And I did it in Northern Ireland, which is an incredible culture to learn the truth of understanding is not condoning. So as I look back now, I realize I've been involved in empathy work since I was seven, since my dad chose to remind us My parents chose the people he hired were gracious enough to let us into their lives sometimes. And I could understand that nothing was as simple or as easy as the news made it sound. Mm -hmm. Nothing was, no one's life was a sound bite. And so how do I love the person in front of me, both as a leader, now an owner, as a daughter of an owner, I had lots of different hats around this place but all of them required me to center the humanity of the person in front of me and not either their skill set, their productivity rate, or the labels that the world has put on them. Yeah. You know, 
Kristen, I, I can't, I, I'm sorry. I don't want to cut you off, but I can't tell you how much <laughs> I relate to this because I am in a family business. I own a business with my sister. We mm. own a bakery. So we hire a lot of people that, you know, you know, it's not white collar work. Let me put it that way. And I came Ours from doesn't that, either. Yeah. I came from a white collar background and, uh, you know, working with different aspects, different people, it really opened my eyes to so many things that I just wasn't cognizant of. And I also grew up in the Middle East. I grew up in Beirut during a civil war. So yes, I can totally get the (laughs) understanding is not condoning um, aspect of it. So I just, I feel like I relate to so many different aspects of your story. It's amazing. Um, So I think I'm very happy to have this conversation. All right. Um, So when we talk about empathy today, right, where do you see where where are we on? I feel like people are getting more empathetic and somehow less empathetic at the same time. It's like we have more information, but less empathy sometimes. Well, I think part of the problem is that we've connected empathy with emotions Mm. in a really damaging way. So empathy and empaths are two different two different things. And I am more and more convinced as I do more research into highly sensitive people that empath is a terrible word for it. Okay. So that it's not actually, cause it's not about reading emotions. It's about reading energy. It's about understanding energy. Cause if you logically think about it, how rarely, how often do you know what you feel and can put a word on it? Not nearly as often as you probably think. Like I joke all the time. How can you know what I feel? I don't know what I feel. And I'm normally feeling seven things at once. So you may get the energy that I'm agitated, but I don't feel agitated. I feel scared. Like all of those, that's the word I would use. Mm -hmm. So part of it is we often say at Abbey Research, the most damaging phrase in the English language is I know just how you feel. Because even though we've been kind of taught to say that culturally, every human I have met, your immediate internal reaction is screw you. You don't, Mm -hmm. there's no, no, you don't. So part of the reason that I think we have a really muddled relationship with empathy right now, especially in the West, I cannot speak to other cultures, but I can, I do have a basic understanding of most Western cultures is that we have done this muddled thing with empathy and emotions. Instead, we'd encourage everyone to define empathy as the consistent intentional choice to choose understanding over assumptions of both yourself and other people. So it is not something that some people are born with and some people aren't. It is not an achievement you unlock on like in life. It is a practice. It is a worldview. It is a It is a way you move through the planet. It is consistent and it is intentional because it is unnatural. And so you have to program your brain to function empathetically. Okay. And, you know, just a note there, I find people are very tribal, right? We are. And we're, we're, we're literally biologically wired to be. Exactly. Yeah. So that's like the, you're asking to do the exact opposite of what they're biologically wired to do, yep. you know, cause, and I've, I've done some marriage counseling with my husband. It's always that reflective questioning, like, don't make the mm-hmm. assumption, take what they said, repeat it back to them and then ask a question, right. Approach with curiosity. Yep. So is that what you're kind of what you're recommending for, to apply to just general situations to everything? The person in front of you is a person just like you are. Yeah. Yeah. So if you don't know 
how to navigate a situation, they probably don't. And also if you see the world in a very specific way, they probably see it differently, but theirs is just as valid as yours. And so I think it's, it's hard. I need to say it. It's really simple. I'm just, I'm asking you, I'm advocating for you to ask more questions and make less assumptions. It's that simple. But that is, like you said, impossibly hard because our bodies, our brains are wired to categorize people quickly because brains are for having ideas, not for keeping them. And so you have like seven seconds, seven nanoseconds when you meet somebody and your brain tells you what that person is. Biological safety mechanism from back in the day when we used to get eaten, we don't anymore. So you can like the thing is with neural pathways is you can rewrite them. Yeah. You are more powerful than your brain. I know it doesn't feel that way, but it really is. And just like, you know, the first seven times you do yoga, you hate it or it's painful or it's whatever. The eighth time you finally strengthen that muscle enough where that move feels natural. Mm. Empathy is the same way. It's going to feel weird. There's going to be days you're bad at it. There's going to be stuff that's awkward, but then it's going to become just part of how you move through the world. Yeah. And I'll say in our practice, we started advocating for empathy during lockdown, my, my partner, Aaron and I, because uh, as we looked around the planet, what we really realized is that everybody was in such intense trauma. No one could understand that everyone's trauma was valid and that everybody was in trauma. Mm-hmm. So we kind of did a lot of like hot, like the suffering Olympics, like my COVID experience is the worst one. Well, that's not possible because everyone's COVID experience was the worst one for them. So we started thinking about how can we help people talk to each other and how can we help people ask questions? And so that's when we started working with empathy. You know, it's so funny, like just listening to you. One of the things that strikes, strikes me is one of the reasons I think that I can display empathy is because I've had experiences where I've been, you know, like when I first moved back to the U.S. from Beirut. It was so overwhelming. So when I see somebody like a a recent immigrant that's overwhelmed at the supermarket, I feel for them because I've been in a similar situation, right? So like, I think COVID, the thing is that we all kind of had the same, we, we were all in the same ocean on different boats. Let me put it that way. Very different boats. So at least maybe I was hoping that it could allow people to just connect a little bit more, um, just because they've had similar experiences, but do you, would you recommend, for example, that somebody go out and just try hard things, put yourself, you know, go to Mexico and try to buy something from a superstore when you don't speak Spanish and see how hard it is. Well, I mean, for sure. Like that's, I mean, I'm a big fan of doing, of doing hard things because we can do hard things, but often you don't have to go to Mexico. You don't have to go anywhere. Like you don't. So in most American cities, there are sections of the city that predominantly don't speak English. So next time, like, so if you are somewhere that like has an H Mart, go in there and try to read the food labels and not, and figure out what your food is and don't ask them. Mm-hmm. Um, it watch a telenovela on watch a Korean drama on Netflix or a telenovela on Univision without subtitles and just think, my God, this is what life must be. Really what I'm advocating for is to open up your brain for 30 seconds a day, an hour a day, whatever, to remember that how you do humanity is not the only way to do it. Yeah. So let me see. A lot of our listeners are women, or this is a topic, you know, we talk about women a lot. Do you think mm-hmm. that women experience empathy different than men? 
So that's such a complicated question. I think like, like yes and no, that's not cheating. Please allow, like, I promise, yeah. let me explain. I so, it. I mean, women are culturally programmed in different ways than men are. Mm-hmm. Women are culturally programmed to never put their own needs first, to work themselves to death, to, you know, to always be the caregiver. So in that way, I think that women experience um, empathy differently because they're never taught to look into themselves. They're never taught to ask questions of themselves. They're never given that space to say, why do I feel this way? Why am I reacting this way? Do I actually want children? Do I actually want this job? Do I actually want to do these things? So in that way, yes. In the practice of empathy, no. Every human being is a unique constellation of who they are. Mm-hmm. And that's the basic of the theory intersectionality. We're all a lot of things all at once. We are all so many things. So in that way, do I think that in general, do women experience it differently than men? No. But in that way, because it's a consistent intentional decision in your own life, everyone experiences it just a little bit differently because you're going to have things that are easier for you to do empathy with. You just share the immigrant story. So like you, and the same way I have been an immigrant in the UK, I'm married to an immigrant to the U S now I have traveled extensively. I understand having a breakdown in the peanut butter aisle and just being like, I literally just watched children drink urine and you are all mad about peanut butter. Like I can get those things I have. And so I can kind of help, I can for a moment pause and say, okay, I remember what it felt like in my body when that happened to me. So how can I live my life to keep in mind that that's someone's reality right now? But like, I've never had a kid and I'm never going to have kids. It's not my story. So I can't, I can cognitively understand. I can seek to have empathy and understanding for people who don't like being a mom or people who love being a mom and what that means. Um, and it, but it takes a little bit more work. Sometimes I've got to put myself in situations where I hear honesty about, about motherhood, because I could very easily remove myself from those conversations entirely, have no curiosity about them and never deal with it. And then just get really bitter and angry that people keep asking me when I'm going to have kids. And so instead I say, I want to have empathy for this. It's a massive human experience. I love lots of people with kids. I love kids. I'm just not called to have them. And so how do I make sure that I am a safe person for mom friends to to say things to? Who can I ask questions to? How do I make sure I don't make a ton of assumptions about that mom blogger? How do I kind of dig into what life kind of looks like? And then I'll say too, there's always things that are so emotional. We can't really have empathy about them. Yeah. And you just can like, you can, you can tap out. Yeah. You can say like on this one, we're not going to get into a conversation about this because I can't see your worldview. I'm that way on, on differences of gun control in the United States. Yeah. I can't, I cannot understand anyone's worldview, why they would want to, why they would feel the deep need to privately own a weapon of war. I don't get it. Mm-hmm. So I just don't get into those conversations with people. And I say, I love you. We're not going to talk about that. Mm-hmm. So let me understand other areas of your life. Let me seek empathy in other categories that you exist in. In this one, we got to set it aside because I can't be an adult here. Okay. So do you think, you know, that's so interesting. Do you think that empathy has a dark side, so to speak? Like a, a side that maybe we take it too far or we're too empathetic to the point where we forget our own selves. Like, does empathy have a dark side? Well, because the definition of empathy includes your, that it's both yourself and others. No, 
Because if you're not practicing it, it's not necessarily a dark side, but it could be out of balance. Okay. So empathy for yourself is just as important as empathy for other people. Figuring out, like when you get triggered, you know, what was that ammunition from and why are you still hanging on to it? What does that reaction mean? Why are you doing those things? Why can't you understand? It's as much self-work as it is other work. And it's holding those things in balance because as you learn more about the planet, you'll learn more about yourself. And as you learn more about yourself, you'll learn more about the planet. And it's this beautiful cycle of growth. Um, my mom always says, if you're not done growing, you know, when you're done growing, you're dead. <laughs> like the point of the point of humanity is to grow and change and evolve and be different. The point is to not be who we were in high school. The point is to keep going. Um, and so I wouldn't say dark side. I think when people say there's a dark side to empathy, it's when they're talking about that emotional labor. I can feel too many of other people's feelings. Again, that's highly sensitive energy perception. And that's, I don't believe, I can't find clinical definitions. I don't believe that's empathy. Empathy is a cognitive mindset. And so all you have to do is make sure that you're in balance with it. Wow. That's, that's awesome. Now, you know, I, I, I see myself as highly empathetic. Um, maybe, maybe with your definition, I should, will reconsider and think if I <laughs> actually do that all the time. Um, but I struggle, I do struggle with it sometimes. And I'm just wondering yeah. like, what tips and tricks do you have? Well, maybe not tips and tricks, but what are you, what's your advice to kind of practice this mindset of empathy in a healthy way, like, or, or a way that, um, because it's honestly, it sounds a little exhausting. I have to admit, it sounds like this is a lot of work. So how can we do it in a way that's healthy? I think it's tiny ways. So there, no change in your life is made. Very rarely humans don't change through big events because your brain needs stasis and it freaks out and it, you know, goes back. So I'm advocating for tiny things. A great example is in uh, my own life is that in 2021, when the terrorist attacks happened on the Asian spas in Atlanta, yeah. Aaron and I both realized that we weren't in close relationship with any Asian Americans. So we were reading all this stuff on, you know, this is affecting the Asian American community, you know, explicitly. And we were like, we don't know anyone in this. I wonder what we're missing. I, I bet you there's something we're missing here. I knew a lot about evangelical purity culture. I knew some other elements of that particular event, but I didn't know Asian American culture. So I reached out to a friend of mine who happens to be married to a Cambodian immigrant. And I was like, hey, so like, we're just like, like organizations to follow, books to read. And she just came back with, well, I'm sure you've watched the PBS documentary. And I was like, hold up, the what now? And she was like, oh, it's free on PBS.com until 2032. It's six hours of a historical examination of all of the immigrant movements of, of Asian Americans. Oh, wow. I was like, okay. So I took six hours of my life. I watched six hours of a documentary. And I learned about things like the Chinese Exclusion Act. I learned about Angel Island. I learned about, you know, Filipino freedom movements. I learned what Asian American Pacific Islander identity meant to a lot of people. Six hours of my life. Yeah. Man. I am still not in deep personal relationship with anybody who's an Asian American. I hope to be someday, but I don't pick my friends based on the holes in my life. So like in the meantime, I found new people to follow on Twitter. Yeah. I found new Instagram feeds to follow. I bought a couple new books. Mm -hmm. I added a, an Asian American women's justice league thing to my monthly donations because I'm in a financial position to donate charitably. 
You know, another one that we always recommend is a two hour, I mean, less than two hours documentary on Netflix called Crip Camp. Mm-hmm. That's about the development of the Americans with Disabilities Act. Yeah. Things that most people never think about because they may never be in deep personal relationship with somebody who's physically disabled. Yeah. So it's small. It's pick a thing. Am I a massive disability rights advocate now? No. Do I think about it completely differently when I walk into a building and I see there's no ramp? Yeah. Yeah. Does my brain just go, oh, I wonder who's been excluded from this? Yeah. Yeah. As a business owner, I always have to think of ADA regulations. So yeah, I totally yeah, and, I get into it. I'm like, oh. And then and actually- like I'm a business owner too, but like I don't always think about it in my personal life. So like if we had a friend that was wheelchair bound, could they come to my home? No, because we've got a front step. Yeah. So what does that look like? How do I make accommodations? What do I do? You know, so it's always start small. And then the other thing I will say, the other piece of that is to remember that you, any guilt you feel over what you don't know, get rid of it. Guilt is an unproductive emotion. Mm-hmm. You didn't know you do now. It's that simple. Yeah. So if you're like, oh my God, if you know it, people, especially in the last couple of years have been waking up to like how terrible some systems are. Yeah. I didn't know. I had no idea. Well, of course you didn't. The system is, is designed for you not to see how terrible it is. Yeah. It's not your fault. You're not evil. You didn't do anything wrong. Take a deep breath and move forward. So you sound like, obviously you've, you've this is your life. You studied it, all that kind of stuff. Um, what would you say is your greatest lesson around empathy and how you, you know, how did it come, you come to learn it? Oh no, it's just so many tiny little things. I mean, definitely being in Northern Ireland, like I remember um, Northern Ireland's a whole separate kettle of fish in a lot of ways, but like in one day I was meeting with a friend who was on one very specific side of the conflict. And about three hours later, I had lunch with somebody that that first person would have wanted dead. Oh, wow. And they were both my friends Mm -hmm. and they were both people that I loved and people that I saw value in people that infuriated me, people that made me mad. They were both humans. Yeah. And that happened more often than not in some seasons of my life over there, you know, and the number of times that, you know, like I have stood in, I, I got to travel to Rwanda at one point and was chatting with somebody who was a perpetrator of the genocide. Oh man. And he was really generous with his story about why he picked up a machete, why he did those things, how he's done things now. And it was just, he was 14 and it's what everybody was doing. Yeah. Okay. How am I supposed to say he was, he was 14 and he was doing what everybody was doing. And so I can get really mad and say, everybody that perpetrated any violence is an evil, horrible person. I can, I can instead shift my brain to say their acts were evil and horrible. Yeah. Which is different. It's a really specific distinction. And I, so those kind of events, I've been privileged to have them throughout my life, which is why I feel like this is my message. I have a really bizarre life in a lot of ways. And so I'm like, okay, well, I see this in a specific way. I'd love to help other people see the world the way I do. But I'll say intentionally practicing empathy, which I've done in the last two years, intentionally saying like, when I get cut off in traffic, not cursing someone out and instead saying, I hope you get there. Yeah. You know, when someone's terrible to me in the grocery store, I say, I just think in my head, you know, put it out in the universe. I hope you have a better day tomorrow. Yeah. 
I hope you're going home to somewhere safe has decreased my anxiety like 9,000% because what it has done is, is remind me what I can and cannot control. I cannot control anyone else's life. Yeah. Not a single thing. I can't control my husband's life. So I definitely can't control the stranger in the grocery store. (laughs) So I just go, this is what I, I am in charge of how I react to things and the decisions that I make. And really at the core of it, practicing empathy is remembering what you have power over and what you don't. Wow. Kristen, this has been an incredible conversation. I know we are, we are on a time limit, so I didn't want to um, go over that, but you know, maybe this is such a deep topic. I can see us maybe doing a second one or something like that. Happy to. Yep. Always happy to talk empathy, but thank you for being with me and for your vision and mission to inform us more about empathy. I feel like I've learned a lot. I hope the listeners did too. If as a listener, you want to learn more about Dr. Donnelly's research, you can visit her website at www.abby-research.com. That's Abby, A-B-B-E-Y dash research.com. You can also find her on all the socials at Abby Research. All the links are below in the show notes. As always, I'd love to hear from you about this episode. What does empathy look like to you? Hit me up on Instagram or Facebook at Farah Haydar. Also, I'm giving away a PDF of some of the best quotes we've had on the show. Beautifully designed to print, cut, paste, whatever you like. Email me at farah at farahadar.com and title it quotes. Talk to you soon. Till then, chase your happy. <laughs>